Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. So today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, communion, it's called a lot of different things, and really, this is the thing that Jesus instituted. We remember the Last Supper. Pretty much, you would have to be, you would have to have been raised in a cave to not know the picture of the Last Supper. Everybody has seen all the paintings, all the stuff, all the various things that go around what we imagine it to be. Um, you can go to places, uh, you know, if you tour Israel, you can go to places where they believe is the the correct place that the actual event happened and whatnot. And we know that there is always this phrase under it: "Do this in remembrance." of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so there's something as we celebrate today, there's something that is about remembering what has happened and applying it for today. That something today is activated when we remember, when we activate what happened behind us. And so one of the things that I think is interesting is the, the concept of traditions. I mean, we've all got different family traditions, things that we do, uh, you know, systematically. There's stuff that, you know, nations do, traditions that we have within our cultures, that kind of stuff. Lots of times we don't understand why we do it. We just do stuff because we always do it and it's always been done. And so therefore... That is the way it is. So I was studying this a little bit and just like, what's, what is the deal with traditions? Like, why, why do they matter? Do they matter? Some of us are, um, you know, more creative and more expressive and we fight traditions. So I have, I have this mix in my household. Um, half of my family, there's only, well, we have two children, now four married in children, but half of our family is like, extremely, we're creative. Don't tell me I have to do the same thing the same way all the time. I like it to be different all the time. Those are the right ones. And some of us, some of us do. <laughs> some of us are on sound. <laughs> some of us believe that everything done once that was good is now a tradition and it must be done every time. And so I find myself like next weekend's Thanksgiving dinner, I, I could start hyperventilating now because we, we, there are very specific things that need to happen at Thanksgiving dinner, very specific elements of the meal, very specific, you know, details. So I've tried at times to add different things, you know, and, and different parts that I've heard that other people do or whatever. And if they're good, they're not subject to be now another option. They're just added to the list of things that need to be done. So now we could sit with a small family group and have 37 different dishes because that's what is the tradition that we have to have. And it's, it's just, these things just happen. So sometimes it's good to pause and say, why do we do the stuff we do? And we've all heard the story, the, the famous story of the famous ham history, where the husband asks the wife, she's getting uh, dinner ready. It's like the, the fall dinner. She's getting the ham ready to put in the pot and she chops the ends off of it and then puts it in the pot and does all the seasoning and whatever. And he's like, why are you chopping the ends off? She's like, that's what you do. He's like, why do you do that? She's like, well, my mom does it. My aunts do it. Everybody does it. Everybody just knows that. Like, you should know that. And he's like, well, I don't understand why. She's like, well, ask mom. So he asked the mom, why, why do you cut the ham? Like, why do you cut the ends off the ham when you're cooking it? Like, is it to let the juices out? Like, what is that? She's like, oh, my mom has always done it. It's just, our family does it. 
And so he asked grandma at the next family gathering, he's like, why do you, I'm just curious, like I can't get my head around this. Why do you cut the ends off the ham? And she says, I did it once. The pot was too small. (laughs) Tradition that wasn't worthy of keeping. I also looked into the tradition of like wedding bouquets. Some of you have gotten married in the last couple years. I used to work at a flower shop, made bazillions of wedding bouquets, and they're lovely. They really add a lot of color and, you know, decor to a wedding. And I was like, why? What's the history of it? Well, it started like way, way, way back when they were like using flowers and fruit and whatever to symbolize fertility and blessing and abundance and whatever. But it really took off in the Victorian age when everybody wore buttoned up stuff to deal with the body odor issue. So now we spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on wedding bouquets that really are rooted in stench. So that's interesting. And then this one I thought was very interesting, uh, Christmas fruitcake. I know some of you are about like, she's going to cuss on stage. I know she's going to. She's not. <laughs> I know it's sacred to some and an abomination to others, so it's really a fine line. But the Christmas fruitcake actually was first developed by the Romans as like a power bar to send them off into battle. So it's high nutrients, high sugar, high protein, the fruit, the nuts, the content, and it would last forever. So it was literally battle food that they sent off. And then over the years, it got picked up and developed literally all over the world. Most cultures have some version of fruitcake. And uh, what it really came down to was preservation. So when you have an abundance of harvest, you got to do something with it so it will last. And everybody says that the best time or like the best amount of of time for the best flavor, it takes about three months for the fruitcake to sit. So harvest times or plus three months You've got Christmas fruitcake. So exciting, right? Sometimes we just, it's helpful to know why we do things. Other things are highly important. And so when we look at these are traditions, this is stuff that just has unfolded over the years. Sometimes we can roll that into the church and we're just like, it's customary. It's fun. It makes me feel good. It's seasonal. We always do this at this time of year. But if we don't understand the why of what we're doing, we can really miss it. And one of the things that's interesting to me psychologically is that apparently we crave traditions. Like our family, family traditions are life-changing. In fact, there's an article um, by the Brunswick Crossing that uh, was reporting on a social study And it says that family traditions are extremely important, whether daily, monthly, or seasonally, they shape our children's identity. It, number one, gives your kids a sense of identity. It, number two, uh, creates family bonds, shapes family bonds. And three, it actually builds character. So these things, they've tracked over families that have strong traditions. So within the family of God, it's so interesting then when we see that it is literally full of family traditions. 
that the things that when we read through the Old Testament, God will say, now do this every year as a celebration and remember this. Talk about this. One generation will pass, will praise your works to the next generation. You sit together and you on an ongoing basis, you talk about the good things that God has done. You talk about the significance of faith. You talk about how he's, how he's worked in your lives. You tell the stories of Jesus from one generation to another. And if we don't remember, if we don't stop and tell the stories, then it just becomes a series of celebrations that have no significance. They're just, they're just enjoyable, but we don't really know why. And so we need to stop and look at some of these instructional things. So one of the biggest uh, celebrations that we see in the word, and we see it right from the book of Exodus, is the celebration of Passover. So Passover in our time, it's in the spring, it's connected to the Easter timeline. Um, we know that there's also Yom Kippur, there's the Day of Atonement that's about six months later. Both of these are related when we're talking about Jesus and when we're talking about what happens when we celebrate communion. But today we're gonna focus on the Passover side of it because this was a very instructional celebration. Passover was a, a time that was marked from the day the children of Israel were, were brought out of Egypt until present day, people still celebrate it. But it's a, it's a specific thing that had specific instructions. And so this uh, Passover is about a week long. There's one particular day that's the peak of the celebration. And the scripture verses that we read when Jesus talks about the Last Supper, when he's instituting the Last Supper, is happening at this time. So it's helpful for us to kind of tie these two together so we have a little bit of an understanding. What um, I'm just going to talk like nobody, nobody knows the history of this because some of us don't. But essentially what happened was God had a chosen people, which is Israel. He had a people that he put his fingerprint on and he said, you are going to be my special people. You're going to be faithful to me and I'm going to, this is the connection that we have. We're, I'm separating you out of the masses. You are my special people. But these special people ended up in Egypt through a series of events. Um, there was a famine in the land. They ended up coming into Egypt to partake of the abundance of the land and ended up being enslaved over the course of about 400 years. And while they were there, they began to just drift a little bit. They, they were encompassed and surrounded by the gods of Egypt. And if you study Egyptian uh, history at all, the Egyptians worshipped everything. You know, the sun god, the moon god, the, they, had, they worshipped everything. And so they were surrounded by the worship of all these gods. And they, they really had just this little fine vein in between in their own family history of who they knew God was. But it wasn't a long, um, long time tradition. They hadn't had a lot of time to lay these foundations. But there comes a time when God says, okay, I'm bringing you out of slavery and I'm bringing you into your own land and I'm going to be your God. I am going to take care of you. You are going to serve me only. And this is going to be the beginning of a brand new thing. And so there's this uh, series of events and we've all heard about the plagues of Egypt and all of that. There's all kinds of movies that that have taken that and, and used this story. But essentially, God makes a way for Israel to leave. But in order for them to leave, you can imagine if, if a nation is faced with their entire uh, main workforce being removed, how are they going to function? 
How are they gonna do life? How are they gonna build things and move things? And, and we know that the Egyptians were super interested in just like massive buildings and, and doing things with like extreme um, capacity and, and extreme measures. And so the, the, Egypt, or the Hebrew slaves, the Israelite slaves were their workforce. And so God comes and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, ah, uh, no. And if he wasn't already predisposed to not do it, God hardened his heart so that it was a really strong break when it did happen. But as the course of, of things went on and there was the, the plagues that came and, and uh, different suffering that went on, and every time something happened, God would say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, no. Or he would say, there were times when he would say, some of you can go, but some of you need to stay. And God was like, no, they all go or they don't go at all. And so there was complete freedom, not a measure of freedom, but complete freedom that God was wanting to lead Israel into. And so it comes to this point where there's this last, last final thing where God actually says, okay, this final plague is going to be that I will kill the firstborn of the land. People, animals, livestock, like the whole bit, the firstborn is going to die and there will be a wailing that happens in Egypt and this is gonna be your time to go. And he institutes this uh, supper, this um, Passover supper, and he says, you have to gather in your houses and there's, there's a lot of instructions about it if you wanna study it. It's um, in Exodus uh, 12 and he gives the instructions and he says, you're gonna kill a lamb and you're gonna take the blood of the lamb and you're gonna put it on your doorposts and over the top of the door and over the windows. And it is going to mark for you that you are mine. And when the angel of death passes over, it's gonna pass over your house. If the blood is there, it passes over you and it doesn't affect you. The, the hard things, the stuff that's about to, the judgment that's about to be unleashed, it won't affect you because you are marked as mine. And then there's this whole interesting thing. We don't have time to get into it today, but they were, um, they were supposed to have this meal. There's a very specific way that they're supposed to eat it. And they're supposed to eat it standing up with their coat on, like ready to go. Everything was packed up and ready to go. And God said, don't like, don't save leftovers. You're not having the leftovers tomorrow. Like whatever you don't eat, burn up because you're getting ready to go. Something new is happening. And this is what I want you to hear. We're not gonna hyper-focus on the, the details of this. What I want you to understand is God said, when the blood is there, it separates you from the, the spirit of death. And you come into this place where you are aligning with me and you need to be ready to move from one kingdom to another. You, you need to be ready to move that you have been under this bondage of Egypt and you are about to come into a new place and I will be your God. I'm gonna be the one who takes care of you. I'm gonna make a way for you. I'm gonna provide for you. I am the one you've been looking for. You're gonna give up all of this, but you're coming into relationship with me. And there was this massive shift that happened and God, like with, with saying you have to stand there and eat it with your coat on, he's like, you need a visual reminder that you are leaving from one place to another. It's not just that you are in the kingdom of life instead of the kingdom of death. You are moving from one place to another. I want you to hear that in your spirit today. When we, when we celebrate communion, when we celebrate this meal together, symbolically, we are talking about not just we have, we have been rescued and we know where we're going when we die. 
we are being moved from one kingdom to another. Something big is shifting on the inside of us. We are coming from one place of alignment into a new place of alignment, and it is the place of freedom. And so when it goes on, God explains it in Exodus uh, 12, 17. He says, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In other words, every year, I want you to pause and remember, you are not part of this world. You have been bought. You have been, you have been rescued and brought out into freedom. So this is phase one. New Testament, we get to experience something brand new. That same idea, though, if you can picture what it would be like to be in bondage, enslaved. You know, we ask each other, do you like your job? Do you know when you're in slavery, it's irrelevant? Do you like breathing? That's, you know, that's the best you can hope for. There's, there's constant pain. There's constant suffering. Somebody decides your boundaries. Somebody decides what you can have and what you can't have. Somebody decides that you are their property. Somebody decides that you, you, you can rise up at this time and you can lay down at this time. Somebody decides the future for you. When we, when we see freedom happen, freedom is about experiencing something new. Freedom to do with your life what you desire to do with your life. You, you get to experience new boundaries. You get to experience new possibilities. Now, as we walk through this today, I want you to hear this. That same, if you can picture the, the absolute atrocity of bondage that the Israelites experienced in Egypt... New Testament, it tells us that we have been slaves to sin. Something else has decided our boundaries. Something else has decided how far we can go. Something else has decided how much we can experience. And God is saying through the gift of salvation that something brand new has happened and he has given us freedom. And sometimes I think we forget to, uh, to recognize what freedom is. I know when I, I'm out like, you know, hiking in the woods or whatever. And you're supposed to like, you know, use water tablets or you're supposed to use those like filter hoses or whatever to drink water. It's like so, like so awesome when you could come home and turn on the tap and get water out of there and drink it. And you're like, man, I forgot to be grateful for this. It wasn't until I had to like think about it that I remembered how awesome this is that we are privileged to live in a place that has that, Right. Sometimes we need to remember the freedom that we have so that we will walk in it. Are you with me? Okay, so let's walk through this just a little bit. Luke 22, 15 to 20 is the beginning of how this crosses over for us. And, and the Last Supper is in every gospel in some version, some form. And this is the picture of what it is that Jesus experienced. So all of the Old Testament into the New Testament Every year they're celebrating Passover. Every year it's this massive celebration because they've been brought into freedom. And Jesus, you know, it's interesting. Jesus could have been crucified on the Day of Atonement if that was something that God wanted us to focus on. That's one piece of it, though. He specifically was crucified at this time. And so it says, this is right after the triumphal entry, um, starting at verse 15. When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 disciples, apostles, and said to him, uh, he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
down to verse 19. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So he specifically waits until this Passover time when they are traditionally, every man around that table had spent every year of their life at this time of the year celebrating freedom. And Jesus sits with him and he's like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm telling you something changes today. There is like a different kind of freedom that you're stepping into. This is something that, that is going to change history. And this, this kind of Passover supper, it is being completed. There's a kingdom uh, purpose in what is happening here. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And, and in remembrance of me, the best uh, definition of this that I found says, take to yourself all that I am and all that I have done for you, and all that I am presently doing and will do for all time. That's the tense of the words that is used. Take to yourself all that I am, and all that I have done for you, and all that I am presently doing and will do for all time. In other words, when we're doing this in remembrance of him, we're not just saying thank you that you did it, but it's thank you that you're doing it. Thank you that tomorrow you're doing it. Thank you that 10 days from now you're doing it. The, the price that you're paid for me, the price, the gift of your life for mine, it's an ongoing benefit that I take, take part of. It's not like Remembrance Day, like remember, uh, November 11th, where we remember the sacrifice that happened back there. It's, yes, we we're grateful for what happened back there on the cross and we're excited about what it means for us today what it means for our children, what it means for our children's children. It's partaking in something that is far bigger. It's a next level kind of stuff. If you're wondering how, how are we tying these two together, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Indeed, Christ, our Passover. In other words, that Passover lamb, the innocent lamb, the one whose blood was shed so that they could be free in, in, from uh, out of bondage, Old Testament, New Testament. He's our Passover lamb. He's the one who takes us from death to life. He takes us from one place of living in bondage to a place of living in freedom that is a whole nother thing. It's like utterly mind-blowing. The Lord's Supper or communion then is the, the celebration of the ultimate game changer. It's the celebration of the moment when the transaction was made to buy our freedom. Well, we're not in, we're not in bondage. Yes, we were. Romans 8, 2 to 4 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's a big deal. That's, that's the undercurrent of all of society. It's this thing that we all face is the fact that we live in a temporal world and everything of darkness pulls us towards death. Spiritual death, emotional death, physical death, relational death, it pulls towards death. The things of God pull towards life. Verse three, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. 
He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Something brand new happens on the inside. On the inside, we step into freedom and maybe our circumstances don't change a whole lot, but on the inside, we are free. There's something on the inside that can't be snuffed out. There's something on the inside that nobody can take away from us. It's a measure of freedom that changes everything. When we understand that, we, we embrace the freedom a little bit more fully. The death and resurrection of Jesus was the ransom price paid for us to be set free from the law of sin and death. And it moved us under what we would call the jurisdiction of the spirit of life. And so this is what we're talking about today, being citizens of the light, which is life. It's this place that God calls us. He moves us under the jurisdiction of life. It's like a prisoner exchange. And we've all heard about places and times when that's happened where a prisoner in another country is exchanged for a prisoner in another country because they're brought back to the place where, where they should be. But somebody has to be, somebody has to pay the price. So Jesus paid the price so we could be brought back under the jurisdiction of the spirit of life. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So we are moved from one governing system to another, one rule of law from another. I was, uh, I was uh, watching this video from April of this year. It's like the most terrible, terrible title on CNN, I think. It's called the, the uh, was it the yogurt assault or something? But anyway, it's these two women in Iran and they're just at a convenience store and they're up at a counter, but their hair is uncovered. And this guy comes up behind them and he dumps yogurt all over their heads and like pounds them with it. And uh, he, then he like gets chased out of the store by the shop owner and whatever. And when the police come, they arrest the two women because they had their hair uncovered. And I thought, you know, how unbelievably horrible, but apparently the leader of the land got up and made a public statement and he said, well, they know the laws of the land. And so they're in the wrong and they should know better. And so um, last week we were, we were in Edmonton and we saw a couple and they were, you know, maybe new to the country. I don't know, but you know, in, in full robes and I'm not commenting on anybody else's culture, but you know, full head coverings, face coverings, the whole bit. And what I thought to myself was, I wonder if they'll decide to continue that now that they're here because it's not the law of this land. It might be a choice. They might choose that that's, you know, how they want to live or whatever. That's their, their um, faith or their culture or whatever, but it's not the law of this land. If anybody was to assault them in a public place, the person who did the assaulting would be reprimanded. Right. Understand? So when we come into the kingdom of light, Maybe we're still dealing with the circumstances around us, but we have a judge and an advocate who is enforcing the new jurisdiction that we're under, the new laws that we're under. And we don't have to live by the bondage of sin and death any longer. We don't have to stay in chains any longer. We don't have to be that way any longer. We could choose to, but we also can live under the enforcement of the kingdom of light. And that is an absolute game changer. So what is a kingdom then? Just to break this down, I'm just going to give you uh, what 
uh, Dr. Miles Monroe says, I feel like this is a super good definition of it, a kingdom, and this is based on world political systems even. He says, a kingdom is a governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, and his intentions, producing a citizenry of people who express his culture and reflect his nature. So let's just leave that up there for a moment. It's a the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it, and we become his territory when we come into the kingdom of light. He is influencing it and impacting it with his will, his purpose, his intentions. He produces a citizenry of people, that's us, who express his culture and reflect his nature. So the circumstances around us might not change right away, but we have a king, a God, who is telling us, you're free, you're whole, you're well, you have a future, I've called you by name, you're known, you're loved, you have purpose, you, you, are, you are made in my image, everything about you is known by me, you are loved by me, you are seen by me, I am your provider, I am your healer, I am your God. And that's what we carry on the inside. That's huge. That's huge. That's so much more than just I wear a cross around my neck. It is literally, I am a citizen of a different country. I belong to something, something new. I can experience something new. And so if that's a kingdom, then what is specifically the kingdom of God? Based on that definition, it's his will. It's God's will. It's God's purposes. It's God's intentions. It's God's culture. It's God's nature. Meaning I'm not just looking for, I need to feel better so I'm saying yes to God. But I am becoming a citizen of light. I am becoming a citizen who is reflecting his nature, his culture, his will. Everything about my life should begin to change. Everything about my life should be about him and for him. That's a big decision. Sometimes I think we can be really casual saying, you know, just, do you want to know God? But really we're asking, are you ready to give your life to God? Are you ready to commit to him? Are you ready to become a citizen of another country? And we've got a lot of people, even in this house, in this family, who become citizens of Canada. And you agree to, and we're so glad, but you agree to abide by the laws of this land. You, you follow through the processes and do what it takes to become a citizen of this country. And when we go to other places and take up citizenship, same thing. If I was to go and become a citizen of Iran, it would become legally necessary for me to wear certain things and do certain things. Likely not going to happen. <laughs> but anyways, Colossians 1, 13 to 18. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Is it, like that is incredible when you pause and you think about it, when you realize that literally everything that's here is not just for our enjoyment. 
We get to also enjoy it, but the things that God created are for his enjoyment, for his glory, for his honor. You are for his glory. Have you ever noticed that when you get something that is used for its correct purpose, it actually really shines. You actually, you experience the best out of something. When you, when you find out what something's actually for and you use it appropriately, you get the best out of it. When we realize that we are created for his glory, you get the best out of us. When we understand that we've been made by him and for him and not for our own little whatever experience on earth, but I was made for his glory. Then Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with my life? Am I living in such a way that brings you glory? It's literally more than just a prayer. It is a life exchange. Something massive happens that we cross into that. It says in verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Preeminence is a big word that we don't use very often and it doesn't rhyme with hardly anything. So it's terrible in songs, but essentially we sang this morning, you reign above it all. That's what that means. You reign above it all. Preeminence means above all, before all. That in all things, he might have preeminence. In me, he might have preeminence. In you, he might have preeminence. In our marriages, he might have preeminence. In our parenting, he might have preeminence. In our workspaces, he might have preeminence. In our businesses, he might have preeminence. It stops us from going, what what do I feel about that? How do I feel about, I don't know if I'm good with that. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I don't know if that's worth it. It's kind of irrelevant. He is the firstborn raised from the dead so that he is the head of the church. He is the head of us that in all things he might have preeminence. And it's such a satisfying thing when we know that he always leads us in triumph. If, he's, if he has preeminence and we say, okay, God, you're the boss, we can be confident that he's taking us to a good place. That what he's leading us to, even though it's uncomfortable to the flesh, it is leading us to light and life because that's who he is. He doesn't lead us to, to, to punish us. He doesn't chastise us. He disciplines us. He trains us. He teaches us, but he leads us in triumph. This is a joy that we get to celebrate today. When we talk about what, what happens when we celebrate communion, we are talking about Jesus gave his life so I can live like a winner every day of my life, whether you think I'm winning or not. When at the end of the day, if everybody thinks I suck, but I hear his well done, on the inside, I got my own party going on. Come on. That's the invitation. It might mean that your work is hard, that the days are long, that the pay seems low, but on the inside, God, I'm doing this for your glory, for your honor, and you feel that little well done on the inside, and you're like, God, that's enough. May I be for your glory. May in all things you have preeminence. When you, are, are, you speak up when you don't want to, when you're quiet when you, you don't want to, but it's for his glory in all things that you would have preeminence, that you would have the first place, 
there's something major that's happening here. And I can't imagine, you know, the, the, the joy if you could actually position yourself uh, a few days out from Egypt, that the children of Israel, when they began to experience, oh my goodness, there is no whip on my back today. I mean, they had to learn what it was like to walk with God. They bumped into the Red Sea and had a few learning curves right off the bat. But can you imagine having an epiphany somewhere along those 40 years that you don't have to flinch every time you hear leather on leather? You can wake up in the morning when the sun comes up, not when you hear the rattling of chains. You can stop and you can love your kids and you can minister to them when they're crying and not just when your time off the chain. When you can be a blessing, you can serve one another because it's in your heart to do it, not because you're made to. Some of us, we're not experiencing the fullness of what this means because we don't understand that it's about freedom. On every level, he's brought us free from the power of sin and death and brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That changes everything. And it It does take a bit for stuff to change around us because it's an internal kingdom that radiates out of us. When Jesus was being uh, questioned by Pilate and he stood before him, John 18, 36, and, and Pilate's like, are you a king or not? Like we're a little confused about the accusations. And, he, and Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom It's not from here. It doesn't mean it doesn't operate here. It's just not located here. So when I picture it, I picture that if I was in another country that was a little bit more oppressed and something happened to me, I would expect my Canadian embassy to fight for me. Because even though I'm there, I'm not from there. I'm from another place. I'm from another kingdom. We function in a world that is fallen in darkness, but we function as representatives of the kingdom of light. And so as we are citizens of the kingdom of light, we can either bow to the rules and regulations of the rule of darkness, or we can say, I'm a citizen of light. I might be visiting in this place, but I carry the presence, the nature, the legislation of the kingdom of light. And so the kingdom of darkness must bow to the superior kingdom. There is a king of kings and lord of lords who I, uh, I am part of this tribe. I'm part of this family. I carry the king of glory on the inside of me. And so darkness, you're going to have to get out of my way right now. I carry the gift of freedom. I carry the gift of light. I carry the gift of life, right? This is so much more than just, do I believe Jesus loves me? Yes, love me enough to liberate me. Being a citizen of the kingdom of light means everything changes. The kingdom is not from here, but we are from there. The kingdom operates here from there. We are the representatives. We get to walk this out. So number three then, real quickly... What is his kingdom culture? And we're going to pick this up heavy next week. It is literally a cultural exchange. The kingdom culture demands that we let go of the previous culture and we embrace his culture. And just to pick this up one more time, we're going to look at this phrase, Colossians 1.18, that in all things he might have preeminence. That is a kingdom culture. That in all things 
he has preeminence, that he gets to say, that he gets to direct, that he gets to advise, that he gets to show me the way to go, that he gets to tell me what is pleasing to him and what is not, that he gets to give me the words of life, that he gets to lead me, that my life is for his glory. Acts 26, 18, when Jesus came to the apostle Paul and said, "Um, I'm changing your mission. You've obviously been on the wrong trail. He said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let's just leave that for a minute because this is when we read the New Testament and we read even what Paul wrote, he's writing an extension to this. He, he has this encounter with Jesus on the road and as he begins to walk out his life, he gets sent to different places to do different things and to talk to different people. But he says, I'm sending you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. That's what we're celebrating today. We've been turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctification means to make holy and purified. There is a shift from one to the other. You see that? From darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. What we need to understand is this is not, I'm gonna add a little Jesus to my life. It's from one to the other. There's a complete shift that has to happen. And and we have this... um, statement in our in our modern way of thinking um we've we've shifted from either or to both and and we hear that phrase both and all the time i don't want to choose either or i want both and i can feel two things at once i can serve two things at once i can want two things at once i can be part of two things at once god's like no choose this day who you will serve Because I want to turn you from the power of darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that you would receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified in the faith. What if I am not sanctified? What if I'm not holy? What if I've lived everything but? Then today is a very good day to decide to say yes to this. Because the day we receive forgiveness for sins, we receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And he sanctifies us. It's not about our works. It's not about what we've done. It's about God, I am yours. And because I'm yours, I'm entitled to everything that you say is mine. And in all things in my life, you will have preeminence. So I'm gonna have the worship team come and we're gonna prepare ourselves for communion this morning. If you want your children to partake, uh, feel free to go and get them and we'll make space for them to do that. But I just want to take some time as we, before we step into this, because the only qualification to receiving communion is that we have given our lives to Jesus, that we say yes to him, that we have, we have received the opportunity that he offers us to make the exchange. And so I'm just going to ask if everyone would close their eyes for a moment. And we want to just spend a little bit of time in this space And just personally ask ourselves where we're at with it. Sometimes we can be long-term in pursuit, but we've never actually made the decision. 
And like Pastor George said, he mentioned to that, that one man that came in, just have you made the decision to give your life to Christ? He gave it all in the first place. We just say yes. And then when we celebrate communion, when we, when we partake in this, in this sacrament together, we're doing it in remembrance of not just what he did way back then, but what he's doing today in our lives. And so this morning, if you are ready to make that decision, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand and just give your yes to Jesus today. Just make the decision. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah, over on this side, I see those hands. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. Yeah, in the back, I see that hand. It's yes, Jesus, I'm yours. I receive it. I receive it. Yeah, I see that hand in the balcony. Anybody else this morning? I see that hand in the back. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the back, I see that hand. Thank you, God. I'm just going to give you another moment this morning. You need to give your life to Jesus. It's the best decision of your life, really. From death to life, from bondage to freedom. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer together today. Let's stand together. And for those that put up your hand, we're all gonna pray with you. And there's no specific prayer in the Bible that tells us how to pray this. Essentially, the Bible tells us that Jesus offers himself. And if we believe in our hearts, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, that He died, that He rose again, and we receive Him, that's all it takes. We believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth. We're gonna pray this together today. And if you're praying this prayer for the first time or it's a recommitment for you, after the service, Pastor George is gonna meet you over here under the cross and he would love to just pray with you and give you some stuff to get you started on this. But today, as we pray this together, if you've, you've prayed this before, maybe a hundred times, but today we wanna recommit once again into this place of beauty and freedom that God has offered us. And the gift of the shed blood, the real Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And so just repeat after me this morning, Father God, I come before you today and I thank you for seeing me, for knowing me, and for loving me. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to pay the price I couldn't pay, for rising again, to guarantee my freedom. God, today I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me and to wash me and to make me new. I thank you for inviting me into your family, 
and into the kingdom of light. Help me to live for you that in all things in my life, Jesus would have preeminence. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So for each one of us, this is a, it's a good day of celebration. It's not just the same thing that we always do. And if you're maybe new to this and you're new to this church, you know, different churches do um, celebrate communion in different ways. Um, some use the one cup of wine that everybody shares. Uh, we have little plastic cups with grape juice and little bits of bread. And it's really not that exciting as far as the uh, food bits go but as far as what it symbolizes, it's everything. So this morning, I'm just gonna have our ministry couples, if you'd come to the front, and we'll just uh, get you your serving elements. We're, we're gonna have each section, you'll come out, and you'll come out to your left, and receive from the couple that's right in front of you, and then back in the other end of your aisle. Balcony, we're gonna have two couples up there that are coming minister to you, so you can just... Um, be served up there. Worship team will be served up on the stage here. And so um, I'm just going to pray over this as we prepare. Let's make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord as we, as we minister to Him in this area and as we partake of Him in this area. So Lord, today we thank You for the privilege of being able to receive this gift from You. We thank You, Lord, for the offer. Jesus, when You said, Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So God, with fullness of heart and fullness of joy and fullness of gratitude today, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your cleansing. We thank you for your life and we thank you for freedom today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You were the word of the beginning, one with God alone, most high. You're hidden glory in creation, now revealing. You can just begin front rows first and we'll just circle around. Take it back to your seats and we'll partake together. Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. And what could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a Christ, my 
Thank you, Lord. a lot of freedom to celebrate here today. Isaiah 53 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was esteemed and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We already read how Jesus instituted that supper. And he said, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to celebrate this meal with you and to tell you, to tell you what's gonna happen and to remind you to celebrate and remember and apply this every time you do it. And so in 1 Corinthians, we see the apostle Paul pick it up. And he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. This is just a symbol. It's like a wedding ring is just a symbol. The marriage isn't in the ring, but the ring is a symbol of the marriage. Today, as we hold this bread, God, we thank you that your word says that you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement for our sins was upon you. Lord, we thank you that even our physical bodies are tied into the life that you give. Lord, we thank you that your word says that by your stripes, we are healed. And so even today, as we partake of this, we remember not just in the sense of what you did back then, but Lord, what you're doing today, right now, in this moment, what you do tomorrow, what you do the next day. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. And it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And Lord, we know the story of the blood is everything. Your word tells us the life is in the blood. That the, the lamb that was killed to put the blood over the door frames to separate your children from death and life, to mark it, God, it's, it's the blood that you spilled for us. The blood that was spilled on the lamb on the day of atonement to pay the price for the sins of the people. You were the lamb that was slain once and for all for us, for our forgiveness. God, today I thank you that that forgiveness, that cleansing, that bloodline, it changes everything. I thank you, God, that we're not under the, the law of sin and death any longer, that we don't have to live in shame and condemnation, that we don't have to live in regret, trying to make our way into a better space, but God, you've paid for our freedom. You've paid the price for what our sin deserved so that we could live fully in you. And so Lord, we take this cup just as a symbol, but we believe in our hearts and we confess in our mouths, God, that the blood that was shed for us has changed everything. And we receive it fully today. It says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's partake of that. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And so this morning, we're just gonna close with... Um, you reign above it all and make it our declaration. This is our declaration of his preeminence in our lives. If you could just pass your cups down to the, the aisles, the ushers will come and gather them. The baskets are coming, but as we sing this, let's sing it as a prayer in closing today, this declaration of freedom. It's not just that he reigns above it all somewhere out there but you're saying it over yourself, your household, your life. He reigns above it all and everything has changed. Tonight, we're gonna gather six o'clock for pursuit. We'd love to see you there. We're just gonna spend some time with the King of Glory. Um, after the song, if you'd like prayer, the prayer team will be at the front. They'd be happy to pray with you and agree with you today, but let's close with a declaration of freedom. Amen. of darkness now is ending in the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever under your dominion you're the king of my life you're the king of my life so you reign above it all he reign above it all Over the universe and over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all 
once the work was finished God you poured out your life just to give us new life now from the lips of the forgiven hear an anthem arise cause Jesus you're
Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.